mean, advice is great, but uh, we're not fans of advice because it just doesn't build businesses. That's Loazi Wali, the head of venture at Founders Factory Africa, a cohort-based venture development program that offers cash investment and in-kind co-building services to startups across the continent. I think it's critical at certain points, but there's a lot of advice-based accelerators and, and support structures here. Whereas what startups actually need is just somebody to help them build a credit model, build an app. Ours is very much about co-building. At the end of season one, our three-part series on venture investing in Africa asked, what early stage investment models work well for the dynamics and realities on the ground? In this episode, we take that conversation one step further and hear from those who are experimenting with and implementing innovative and alternative capacity building, support and investment models here on the continent. We'll explore three models in particular, peer selection, venture building, and talent investing, and discuss why these models may have greater impact in Africa. What is it that entrepreneurs on the continent need? And how do these models better support said entrepreneurs? How might we de-risk investment in startups and better foster the opportunity for startups to raise later stage funding? And why should entrepreneurs consider these models in the first place? Let's explore. You're listening to The Flip, the podcast exploring more contextually relevant stories from entrepreneurs around Africa. Welcome back to The Flip. I'm your host, Justin Norman. I'm really interested in the entrepreneur support organizations and venture investors we're exploring in today's episode. Those who are taking innovative approaches to venture investing and startup building on the continent. If we are to agree that entrepreneurship is hard, perhaps even more so in Africa, it follows that these organizations play a valuable role in the entrepreneur's journey. But as the models and levels of intervention vary widely, let us start with some definitions. First, we must distinguish between an accelerator program and venture building initiatives like the ones discussed in this episode. Let's start with accelerator programs. I think programs are, are ridiculously similar to graduate school, right? That's Aaron Fu, the head of growth at Catalyst Fund, and formerly the MD of entrepreneurship training program, MEST. I, I think it's also important to recognize that a lot of programs are, are very much there to be a badge of consistency. To me, one of their primary value propositions is their selection process. The fact that you got through their regular selection process and made it to the cohort on day one, I think a lot of investors want to see that you've been through someone else's rigorous selection process and made it through that. These accelerator programs include the likes of Startup Bootcamp, SeedStars, Co-Creation Hub, and many other sector-specific programs on the continent, as well as the global behemoths Y Combinator, 500 Startups, Techstars, and others who have increasingly taken interest in startups in Africa. I think also a lot of programs are designed with maybe two or three very specific outcomes. And and very often, one of those two or three is to be able to find follow-on investment for, for, for their cohort, right? And again, like, again, to me, super similar to, to grad school as well, whereby a KPI is certainly how many of the grads actually get placed. As we have seen, admission into a program like YC almost guarantees a high level of interest from venture capitalists on Demo Day. And for that, YC and other accelerators offer a fixed investment amount, both cash and in-kind value, in exchange for a fixed amount of equity in the companies in their cohort. One such accelerator and venture investor focused on Africa is Village Capital. My name is Adadana Sheber, and I'm the regional manager for Sub-Saharan Africa at Village Capital. But Village Capital's program and investment structure turns the traditional model on its head. Village Capital is an organization looking to address uh, the power dynamics between investors and entrepreneurs. So what we're most known for um, is our investment readiness program. And really the heart of it is peer due diligence and peer selection. As we see venture investors relying on their existing networks, 
which may perpetuate certain biases, prevent diversity and stifle opportunity, especially for underrepresented founders. Village Capital set out to explore what would happen if the entrepreneurs in their program make the investment decisions for them. So there isn't an investment committee as such. The entrepreneurs in the program are the investment committee. They're the ones making the decision. And we find that they actually do a pretty good job. So if you ask, you know, can entrepreneurs actually make a successful investment decision and can they do so in a way that increases diversity, then the short answer is yes. Peer selected investment leads to more inclusive early stage investment decisions and it doesn't without sacrificing commercial objectives. And at the same time, Village Capital's design of their programs, specifically in building sector specific programs, further ensures the efficacy of their peer investment model. And I think what was surprising to us was the fact that entrepreneurs could pretty quickly pick up on the success of their peers. And it makes sense because entrepreneurs are building businesses themselves. And the fact that these programs are sector specific, so it's fintech businesses looking at other fintech businesses. So they have a really good lens with which to, to, to view and to probe their fellow entrepreneurs. Though, of course, Village Capital's programs also provide value for those who are not selected for investment by their peers, with the ultimate goal of advancing the investment readiness of their startups. And this is where we see programs get more hands-on with the entrepreneurs in Africa. There's more to the program than just the funding. So we provide access to mentors. We have investment analysts that work diligently with our companies on a one-on-one basis to work on their financial narratives and to support them on on term sheets, um, helping them with those negotiations. So the funding is a part of the program, of course, but we offer so much more than that. I think that's also important. And that's one of the reasons that, you know, companies still sign up for the program, knowing that Funding is not a given, and also why they keep keep applying and keep coming back. From here, we start to see models that are increasingly hands-on, in particular venture building models. While their investment terms may be similar to accelerators, Venture builders provide even more resources in terms of human capital to co-build alongside their portfolio companies, almost like a co-founder. We are a venture development company. That's Sam Sturm, the chief venture architect of Founders Factory Africa. He's a colleague of Loazi's, who we heard from in the opener of this episode. And we do two things. We both grow and scale existing startups, and then we build our own from the ground up. And in particular, Founders Factory leverages strategic corporate investors to fund their co-building model. Here's Loazi again. We are corporate-backed, but the paradigm behind that is not necessarily one of just generic investment. We took the point of view of raising more strategic or smart capital rather than just going out to market and raising a fund towards this work. And for Founders Factory, having corporates as strategic investors is crucial in backing and building high-growth venture-scale startups. When you need to scale, what you typically need from a startup is you're needing access to distribution channels, you're needing access to expertise, regulatory issues. So we found that those are really the bottlenecks to scale. And so when you think about who's actually solved scale... It's corporates, right? And so in our paradigm, we're saying if we're going to actually solve and scale businesses, you need to partner with people who can actually enable that and allow for that. But Founders Factory's corporate-funded venture-building initiatives are distinctly different from corporate innovation, where outside teams build innovations within a corporate. Although these corporates are our investors, we by no means exist to build businesses for a standard bank. We use them as very intentional data points to say if this is a problem for a standard bank, could it be a problem for F&B, Capitec, and a wider market? And with these insights in tow, 
Founders Factory leverages their team of venture builders to test hypotheses and ultimately build and scale businesses. If you look at how our resources, how our capital is allocated, the vast majority of it is on a, the team that helps to build things. Engineers, data scientists, product designers. We are a team of technical experts and makers and builders and designers. And so we often joke and say, you know, that headcount, you as a startup coming in, you kind of grow your headcount by like 40 or 50 people because ours is six months of very specific bespoke co-built support depending on what you need. And again, it's all a function of the unique nature of the startups and the problems they are solving. Our program isn't six month cookie cutter, one size fits all color by numbers. It really is focused on specific problems. Most startups what they need at this stage, right? It's not a mentor. It's not someone telling them like, here is what one hypothetically ought to do with their financial model at this point in their journey. But as we've said, like every business's financial model is different. Every every business's product needs are different, right? And so like mentorship and advice is lovely, but it doesn't, it's not what most businesses need to be successful and to grow and to solve their problems, right? And so we, don't advise, we don't mentor, we co-build and we co-design. As we've said, startups are hard and perhaps even more so on the continent. Founders Factory believes that their model, while not guaranteeing success, makes it a little less hard for their entrepreneurs. I think for us, the idea is that, you know, look, you can't de-risk, like you can't de-risk entrepreneurship. You can't de-risk a startup. But we believe that given the resources we have, we can help overcome some of the initial barriers more quickly. And in co-building, we're even better equipped to do that. Now, Founders Factory has a pretty straightforward investment model, which includes both cash investment and in-kind venture building services in exchange for a fixed amount of equity. Another Africa-focused venture investor, Green Tech Capital Partners, employs a similar human capital-intensive venture-building model, but takes their business model even one step further. My name is Eric Young. I'm a CEO and co-founder of Green Tech Capital. Green Tech Capital employs what they call a results-for-equity model. In the environment of entrepreneurs and startups, the way they integrate value and the way they work is basically that they try to identify people that are qualified, and because they don't have money, they will ask them to achieve certain performance and they will give them equity as partners. And that's where came the idea of uh, Resolve for Equity. It was a way to translate this way of doing things of the startup and to modelize it so that we could have a trade of value with a startup in an environment that is known to the entrepreneur. The model was born out of the fact that Green Tech Capital is a startup too. We started really also like a startup. And what we did is that our first investment, we were basically offering ourselves, our skills, our network to startup and say, let us show you that we can create value for you. And we were taking the risk, we were taking ourselves the financial risk. The result for equity that we have set up and the venture building is only a model that is based on performance. If you don't perform, you don't get paid, which is actually the life of the entrepreneur. And then the question became, how do they do that at scale? For green tech, they leverage their experience supporting startups to win consulting work with development agencies and ultimately use their balance sheet to grow the team. We also have shared the experience of operational support to the startup to some development agency. 
And that was kind of a consulting work that we were doing. And then we were using the, the money that we were doing for the consulting work to then reinvest to hire people that will be doing the same thing. So kind of uh, investing on the balance sheet. So we always have reinvest that money into people, into competences that we saw could make a difference for startups in Africa. Eric believes that their team of 40 venture builders is a more sustainable model than just direct venture investments. What we see is that when we have those people and with this expertise, they can work with one startup, they can give access to a lot of things that money cannot give, and they can also aggregate that experience and also use it for other startups and other companies. The way we saw it was that, okay, let's pay someone that a startup will not be able to afford in this team, but will have so much competences and network that he will be able to anticipate the different challenge that the startup is supposed to, to have and will give solutions and give experience to guide and to operate the startup so that it gets to a stage where the startup is more independent. It comes down to a startup's needs and how they value this type of bespoke support. Sometimes if you're an entrepreneur and you don't have to raise money, you better not raise money because later you'll, you'll have to manage on the equity that is available. And that's what we're trying to convey to entrepreneurs. What we try to do is to agree on the value that is needed at the stage of the company. And sometimes it will be to raise money, and sometimes it will be to say, we don't raise money, we figure out a way to integrate a certain technology to develop our business so that we become more attractive, our value become more interesting, and then we have money coming rather than go after the money. And then... This is where Green Tech Capital's results for equity model comes into play, where the organization and its startup mutually agree on KPIs they want to achieve together that trigger the equity earnings. Usually the contract that we have with the startup is between three to five years. We look at the business, we assess the business, and then we say to the startup, okay, this is a strategy that we see for you to develop. And then we need to find an agreement on the, the way the strategy has to be implemented. And if we find this agreement, we say, okay, we're both comfortable, comfortable with the strategy. Let's do that together. After one year, normally we hope that we have achieved the, the KPI. And at that, at the, from the moment we get the KPI, we get re, re rewarded with uh, equity. From there, the focus is scale. Then the second year for us is to focus on how can we scale? How can we duplicate the value? And that's why the second year KPI is often to help them scale and develop uh, the attractiveness to other markets. And also, this is the moment where they will normally raise more money. At the end of the day, it's a model that is unique and custom to the environment in which African startups find themselves in. The entrepreneurship ecosystem in Africa is pretty young. And I think that as investment organizations, we need to renew ourselves to serve better our partners. The different direction that Wintech has taken uh, so far were based on new ideas, testing new solutions, looking at what the market needs, and not saying that, okay, nobody's going that way, it's not possible. It was more like, we feel like there is a need in that space. Let's see how we can try to fill it and uh, address this gap. And I think that we want to continue to, to be in those shoes of an organization who's innovating at the benefit of the entrepreneur, 
So while Founders Factory has a more traditional commercial model and Greentech Capital Partners employs a performance-based results for equity model, another venture builder again takes things another step further. My name is Maylise Carraro and I'm the director of the Catalyst Fund uh, managed by BFA Global. Our mission at Catalyst Fund is to help early stage entrepreneurs across emerging markets build fintech solutions that improve the lives of the 3 billion people around the world that are currently underserved by the global financial system. My lease and Catalyst Fund, much like Loazi, Sam, and Eric, strongly believe in the merits of the venture building model. For my lease, it was born out of her own entrepreneurial experience. So when I launched like my own startup, actually, back in 2013 now, uh, I went through a couple of incubation programs, and they all had a bit of a you know, one-size-fits-all generalized approach to acceleration, and it didn't end up being that helpful for us as a company. And all of the startups in the room, frankly, were at, st- at different starting points. And this is why when we started Catalyst, I wanted it to be extremely focused on individuals, entrepreneurs' challenges and tailor the support in a way that makes sense in the specific context to the company and can take them closer to product market fit. So the methodology that works best, we found, is the venture building methodology. And it's a methodology that works for emerging markets in particular. So when we started Catalyst Fund, like we were very clear that Capital is only one side of the equation for startups to succeed, but actually what's really lacking even more of in emerging markets is that deep and technical support and know-how that is equally important uh, in the context of really building solutions that are fit for purpose and fit for the context of emerging markets. So supporting these companies has to be done in a way that really meets entrepreneurs' needs and aspirations and matches their local circumstances. It takes longer, that's true. It takes a lot of investment in terms of time and uh, and expertise that that you put in, but the result that comes out of it, I think is much more impactful for, for the business. One of the initial differences between Catalyst Fund and other venture builders is that Catalyst Fund doesn't have open applications. It's a function of the role they play in the early stage ecosystem and the relationship they have with other early stage investors. A group of investors came together Um, now four years ago, leading fintech investors in emerging markets. And uh, they were saying, you know, we see oftentimes entrepreneurs knocking on our door, but they're just not quite ready for us to make an investment at this point. And it would be great if they could get a little bit more traction, improve their models uh, a bit more. So Catalyst Fund takes these startups and co-builds with them until such a point as investors are ready to invest. So that's why we thought that we would instead of sourcing via open applications, actually focus on accelerating really high quality companies that are pre-vetted by investors. So investors already believe in them and create this investor advisory committee that would essentially spend their time, you know, sourcing companies for us, which they do anyway, and then sending those companies to us for consideration in the program, knowing that they can therefore develop a close relationship with them as the company is accelerated. And then after the program, they, when the company is de-risked, uh, they can make an investment. So, so there are six investors in our investor advisor committee, which means, again, that we think the companies have a higher chance of securing that follow-on capital after the program. And then where Catalyst Fund takes things one step further is that they don't actually take any equity in the startups they work with. We help the companies by providing what we call you know, catalytic grant capital early on in the journey. We started it about four years ago with support by uh, J.P. Morgan Chase Foundation and the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. And today we're supported by the UK Department of International Development. And Catalyst Fund's reliance on philanthropic capital, 
Though obviously incredibly friendly for the entrepreneurs they support, brings to question the sustainability of their model. The sustainability question is certainly top of mind for us all the time. And I think for many programs like ours that, that do rely either on blended finance mechanism or fully on, on philanthropic capital, it's a question that we do, yeah, we do pose and, and worry about. Luckily, in our case, I have to say that we've had very strong, committed uh, and mission aligned you know, supporters from the beginning. But it's important to acknowledge the role that philanthropic capital and catalytic grant capital plays, not just in Africa, but all over the world. If you look at even what happened with the internet when it's been built, like it, it's subsidized by public funding. So there's a role when you're creating innovations and, and filling market gaps for this capital to be there and, and uh, at the very early stage in that continuum of funding all the time. So it's also important to work with the right funders that do have this fundamental belief and will continue you know, to support as long as you can prove results. But even with that being said, it doesn't mean Malice isn't thinking about other funding mechanisms and strategies. We're building the, the basis to be able to monetize. But first, we have to prove there's value, that we're really providing something that others are not. So we don't want to duplicate efforts. We always think collaboratively like that. And for Catalyst Fund in particular, they believe in the opportunity for fintech to be applied more broadly across sectors, which, just like the startups they are supporting, presents an expansion opportunity as well. Then we also have to be agile and adapt like in our growth trajectory when I think about how we could be more sustainable. Um, we're certainly thinking, for example, about expanding across various sectors. We've historically been focused on fintech, but now we have other verticals where fintech can be deployed uh, as a, you know, an embedded tool to make this business model work at the, at the base of a pyramid. And that allows you to expand the, the breadth of um, supporters that you can access the, and also cover more geographies, potentially. That being said, Mylise remains a firm believer in the role that philanthropic capital ought to play in the development of innovation ecosystems. I do think that philanthropic capital in our model, because we're funding you know, this type kind of innovation so early, will continue to have a role to play and should have a role to play. And I hope that, um, especially in a time of crisis like this, Donors don't forget it because this is when we need more innovation. We need more entrepreneurs to take risks and, and reinvent what, what the world can look like. While Founders Factory, Green Tech Capital, and Catalyst Fund all employ a venture-building model to support entrepreneurs and startups, we must one last time take a step even further in the discussion. This time, it's a step further in the journey of the entrepreneur, all the way back to the beginning. My name is Salam Kabeda. I am a director at Antler East Africa. While the other venture investors discussed in this episode support companies that already exist, Antler employs what they call a startup generator model. So we're essentially a VC firm. But instead of going out there investing in existing startups, we build the startups together with the founders, and then we invest. And in Antler's case, they begin working with entrepreneurs pre-company, and even in some cases, pre-idea too. We uh, look for extremely exceptional, very uh, experienced, talented individuals from all over the world who are looking to build a business. But these people don't have either a team or an idea yet or something that has developed yet. But they're just maybe thinking about this or have built companies before and now thinking of building a new one. 
we bring them together into a, a cohort where they can first find a co-founder for each other or a team of uh, co-founders and then decide on the business idea that they're going to work on together. And then after 11 weeks, they present these ideas to our internal investment committee and then they, they would have an opportunity to get an investment of $100,000. In markets and environments that are typically dominated by corporates and where startups have a tough time competing with corporates for talent, Antler hopes that their model can compel more experienced people to pursue careers in entrepreneurship. As an investor, and, and this is mostly my personal experience as well, having worked across the continent for the past six years, it becomes so clear that the idea of building a company itself is so new and it requires a lot of pre-existing conditions for you to be successful. A lot of people from the investment uh ecosystem are complaining that oh there are not enough startups to invest in there is a big gap in the talent so for us like what we're really excited about is a like we took the challenge of like no there are some people that could do this we just have to find them key to facilitating their entrepreneurial journey as well is in how antler designs their program including a program stipend to de-risk the pursuit of their entrepreneurial endeavors so the fact that we provide uh, the stipend for the first 11 weeks has been a, a good incentive for a lot of people to just try it out. And if they do end up building a company that is investable, then after 11 weeks, they have a company, a co-founder and, and $100,000. If not, they can also either go back to looking for a job or, or some people, especially the ones that are not really sure about leaving their job, have taken unpaid leave to join us. So, you know, we've tried to make it risk-free or almost like uh, made it a bit easier for them to jump onto this world of entrepreneurship. And Antler further facilitates the process and entrepreneurial journey through their program selection process. Our two major profiles are tech profiles and business profiles. And the tech profiles are people who, who know how to build tech. You know, these are not your, you know, fresh grads from college or these are not people from, you know, with no experience. These are people who've built for example, products at Google for 10 years. So from day one, they already come in with a wealth of knowledge and experience that uh, can help them leverage in such a high intense, high paced environment. Same with the business profiles. These are people who built businesses before, or these are people who run banks before or insurance companies. So essentially they understand, they have a very deep uh, industry knowledge. They have such strong networks. They, they have a quick understanding of where the gaps are in those industries, and they come in with a very strong awareness of what they know and they can bring to the table and what they're looking for from a co-founder. And then during the program, they implement a lot of activities to facilitate the co-founder matching and idea generation process. At the end of the day, it's all about facilitating the process for their entrepreneurs. So we don't manually match people, but we have a, a lot of design sprints and hackathons and, and group exercises. So you can like you really fast track this interaction by making sure that they work with each other as much as possible. And then those guys eventually track out and then say, okay, we actually think this team is solid. We like each other. We have good chemistry. We have complementary skill sets. We like the idea we're working on. We're going to do this.
As always, my Mike Shio and I sat down to chat about this topic. And in particular, we're very interested in the decisions that high potential entrepreneurs make to participate in these programs, in what entrepreneurs are looking for, what they need help with, and in their perceived value of programs like the ones discussed in this episode. Take a listen. I'm interested in the venture building model because I think it has merits, but there's a, there's a larger question about values and what do entrepreneurs need? I know that this is a little bit of a generalization, but do we believe in the merits of the venture building model here in particular because of the specific set of challenges that entrepreneurs are faced with in building businesses in Africa? It's a very good question, man. My answer would be um, a couple of things. I think one, they might be more relevant. A lot of what we talk about on this podcast is just the ability to bring as many people into the problem as possible because it's they're hard problems and they're multifaceted and million businesses and one business kind of problems. Um, so I think they're good from that perspective. And there's a lot more space, I believe, for more active investors. So I think in theory, there's certainly a lot of room for it. In practice, I think it's hard. So let me start with that. It's new. So there's going to be a lot of a lot of uh, learning. People are working working it out, trying to work out what works best. I, I really like this episode and the way that it like shows all the different ways of doing it. And it definitely sparked some food for thought as an investor. Um, as an entrepreneur, I'm way less uh, optimistic. Maybe, maybe that's the point, though, is that the you know, should the ecosystem just be looking at alternative options, right? And here's a set of alternative options that people believe have merits for specific reasons. And um, it remains to be seen, you know, which is the best or whether any of them are the best relative, I suppose, to like, quote unquote, incumbents or tradi more traditional venture investing. And Justin, do you know something? Like, and um, I hate to do this because it's, it's a different world altogether, but like Y Combinator just needs to just start saying names of startups. <laughs> like that's, that's what their version of this interview would be. And, and the, the proof is in the pudding. And yeah, I, I don't know. From an entrepreneur perspective, I think there's, there's, uh, there's not enough proof yet. But that's not necessarily that's not necessarily an indictment on the people or on the mod on their models. Not at all. That's that's more so just timing. Yeah, hundred percent. I, I guess the also the other question that's sort of like an elephant in the room, and I don't mean to insinuate that any of these people are bad at what they do, but it is also it, it is interesting the dynamics of YC being for the most part like successfully exited entrepreneurs versus like the lack of that it goes to the question of be about the qualification of being a venture builder yeah i i 100 agree i'm always interested in the level of quality of the expertise or technical know-how that parties are bringing to entrepreneurs you can because it's just so hard to number one have a one size fits all but it's also like really difficult to find true experts that are going to be interested and passionate enough about the problem to come in and just do it like on demand. So it's hard. It's a really hard problem. It's, it's tough to sometimes entrepreneurs just need cash to do what the fuck they do. And it's like, actually you're better off leaving them alone than, 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 and also man, another thing that's really important is like fit, right? Like sometimes someone else's idea 
of what they believe is correct or the way to go about things or whatever might just be a function of their own experiences, who they are, and could derail a entrepreneur that's actually on the right path. Right. Like I, I imagine like I'm a bit of a cynic. So I'd imagine that if I was going into a lot of businesses, I'd be like, nah, don't do that. Don't do that. Like <laughs> and and if you're kind of trusting me with that, I don't know. I don't know that it's that that fit question is so important. Like I think there's gotta be a real alignment with the partners that you're working with. Yeah. But by the way, to that end, the the thing that I like more than anything else by far is that they are taking an entrepreneurial approach to this and testing and experimenting rather than just like implementing the same models and expecting different outcomes. As they must. The road or whatever, the journey is a worthy one, both from the sense of building up an ecosystem and from the sense of building cool, strong businesses or funds. You know, I think whoever cracks this or whoever the people are that crack it consistently will, will be heralded and rightly so. Yeah. And, and I also think that that goes to the larger conversation about like the role that individual entities play within an ecosystem, right? Like we're, we're building an ecosystem and there requires collaboration. And one of the things that I love about Catalyst Fund in particular is that they are sort of like a, a, you know, a selfless philanthropic entity within, you know, plays a larger role for the benefit of others in the ecosystem. And that's great. Right. And maybe, maybe all of these models ought to exist and play, you know, their own role in the ecosystem. And we just need more of this. Yeah, for sure. And I, and I think that's what's going to happen. And that's why I say I, from, from two sides, as, as an investor, I think I, I can see how necessary it is. But as an entrepreneur, you also know, like I know from, from a lot of you know, personal experience, how draining it is to be in an incubator accelerator program just like you're you're you 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 fit into the into the model or you don't and i never personally have so i i understand it from both sides it's uh you know it's, as 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 everything it's a it's a it's a journey that will hopefully end up somewhere good thanks for listening to this episode of the flip did you know that we've also launched a weekly newsletter? Subscribe at theflip.africa forward slash newsletter for thoughtful analysis on the work being done by the entrepreneurs you hear here on our show. Those that are building a future inspired by Africa. That's theflip.africa forward slash newsletter. And as always, we'd love for you to join the conversation on social media as well. You can find us at The Flip Africa. Thanks again for listening and we'll see you next time. <laughs>